Excellent. All right, are we, are we ready to get going? I apologize for being late. Great. I'm calling this meeting of the Marin County Planning Commission to order. It is Monday, February 5th, and here we go. <laughs> um, Kim, do you want to take the roll? Commissioner Jacobson? Present. <laughs> Commissioner Dresser? Commissioner Mintz? Present. Present. Commissioner Curran? Present. Commissioner Here. Okay. Uh, minutes from our February 8th meeting. Does anybody have any comments or do we want to make a motion to approve, etc.? Make a motion to approve. I'll second that. Panasuch moved and Commissioner Dickinson second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay, great. Um, okay, so our, at this point, time for communications. Any commissioners have any communications that they'd like to report to commissioner staff? Great. Good morning, Jeremy. Or good afternoon, Jeremy. Time for the director's report. Good afternoon. Uh, <laughs> nice to see you all here. We're unfortunately missing a couple of uh, commissioners because of the storm. Um, I've been in contact with them, and uh, as you know, today's hearing is really a workshop. We're not presenting anything for you to um, issue a decision on, so I did let them know that if they listen to the hearing, they'll hopefully be able to come next time and uh, be present for that discussion. So um, we have the development code amendments uh, workshop for you today. Um, as we normally do in a couple of weeks, we'll be bringing back a resolution related to those uh, development code amendments for your consideration, and that resolution would be a recommendation to the Board of Supervisors. Um, <clears throat> in addition, on the 22nd um, would be the election of the Chair and the Vice Chair, and that would be for both the Planning Commission and the Airport Land Use Commission. Uh, historically, the Chair and the Vice Chair have been the same for both, although, of course, that can change. Uh, and historically, there's been sort of a rotation in terms of the, uh, the chair and the vice chair. Uh, and I'll be honest, I don't actually remember who was the chair over the past several years. Perhaps some of you have a better memory about that than I do. I feel like during COVID, it was just sort of like this period of time when lots of things um, I don't remember. <laughs> yep. So maybe you'll want to kind of think about that in terms of who might be next in the rotation. And of course, you don't need to follow a rotation. It is up to you who you want to have as the chair and the vice chair. Okay. But that will be coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, there's a, actually a, a kind of a long break. Um, you'll notice this spring um, we did have a hearing scheduled, but then that got canceled because it interfered with the um, with the board's uh, budget hearings, so they canceled that. Uh, so there's going to be a long break. We have nothing scheduled for March 4th. Uh, April 14th, um, we have not brought this to you in the past, but um, every year we do an update to uh, the state regarding um, implementation of programs in our general plan, the county plan. Uh, they've 
gotten more assertive about having us do those every year, so we've started to do those. And uh, I thought it'd be good to bring that to your commission this year. Um, normally, it's it's pretty routine, but this year we did uh, a study of all of the programs that the planning division is responsible for and uh, a determination about whether we had completed those programs or whether we had not or if we had partially completed those programs. We're going to be presenting that to the board next month and I thought um, just to follow up might be a good idea to bring it to your commission as, as well just as an informational item. We're not asking you to um, weigh in on anything. It will already have been approved by the board and will have already been submitted to the state, but it's just for uh, for your information. And of course, I'll let you know if there's anything else that's scheduled on that same date, but that's all we've got right now. Uh, Jeremy, I'm curious. Uh, many months ago, we had on the preliminary agenda the hearing on the EIR on the seminary, and it just disappeared. And I uh, checked the website, and it was there was no current information on there either in terms of what's going on. Yeah, I don't have an exact date about when the um, the draft EIR is going to be made public um, this this spring for for sure, um, but I don't know what the date would be. Okay, so it hasn't the um, public review period hasn't started on it. No, it has not. Okay, no. thank you. Jeremy, could you give us an update on 1501 Lucas Valley Road, its current application? Yeah, sure. I mean, Manny might be have more um, uh, up-to-date information, but essentially, I think you may remember uh, that they came in with two different applications for the same site. Uh, one uh, of those has, uh, since that time, um, been uh, dropped uh, and expired. Uh, the other one is still in process. The application was deemed incomplete, and they are working on submitting additional items to uh, get a complete application. We don't know when they're going to be resubmitting those, uh, but um, you know, as typical, once we do receive additional information, we'll put that online so everybody can see what we've got. Actually, I was going to raise a similar question um, uh, during the discussion of the agenda item because it was mentioned in there that there was an incompleteness letter sent out, but I know that is not on the county website. Um, and at some point it would be interesting to see actually what the list of items uh, was. But it just says a, a status initial review. I mean, I checked again this morning. And yeah, I mean, those incompleteness, those are highly technical. Um, and uh, it was a lengthy list of items, um, not just from us, but also and perhaps especially from DPW. Um, and uh, I think it'll take them some time to actually complete all those items. There's a lot of civil engineering and hydrology work that needs to be done. I, I know for the 70 uh, North Knoll project in Strawberry, um, the letter is on, on the website. It's very detailed and includes comments from other agencies and all of that, but I'm just curious why there wasn't a copy of the incompleteness letter for um, 1501 Lucas Valley Road. Well, so our standard operating procedures are that we do not post incompleteness letters. Uh, I'm not sure why, I'm not sure what you're referring to in terms of the other property, 
um, but we'll take a look at that. Yeah, it's a letter dated August 31st. The pre-application report. Oh, the pre-application. Yeah, so it's not an incompleteness. It's a pre-application report. So when we get a pre-application, um, we then analyze the pre-application and come up with responses essentially regarding the merits of the application, uh, which is what we posted. That's essentially the decision. There's no, there's no formal decision for a pre-app, but that's essentially the decision. Um, that's very different from an incompleteness letter, though. Those we don't post. Okay. Any other questions for Jeremy? Yes, I had one. Yeah. Um, um, could, you, could you give us a brief update, maybe not today, but uh, soon, about the Board of Supervisors' final action on the, the um, short-term rental ordinance? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think probably what we should do is um, update you in terms of what the submittal. So we've we're submitting it to the Coastal Commission, and so I can cover that in a, in maybe the the next uh, director's report. Um, I I think that we have submitted it already, but I need to make sure. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Any other questions for Jeremy? Okay. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, Okay, now's the time for open time for public expression. I don't see any members of the public here, so I think that that is done. Um, item number four, 2024 Development Code Amendments. This is just a workshop where we're supposed to hear Manny's report and listen to public comments, if any, and provide direction to planning staff, correct? Correct. So um, as we have in the past, um, we have a packet for you which includes a staff report. Uh, it also includes a guide to the um, amendments and uh, that kind of takes you through a brief synopsis of all the, of all the changes we're proposing. Uh, it also includes a track changes version of all of the um, development code amendments. Uh, and in this time, this time around, we actually have changes to the form-based code um, which are also being proposed. Those are not in track changes format. Actually, had, had an email exchange with uh, uh, Commissioner Stepanisich um, about this. Uh, so we have, um, we don't have the ability in the software to have track changes. So what we did was we had the uh, um, before and the after versions of the form-based code. So we have the existing code and then we have the revised um, revised uh, uh, a code in, in, in a separate set of sheets. Um, and uh, hopefully that will provide you with enough information. But um, uh, Commissioner Spanisich asked that we kind of focus on that a little bit. So I did ask Manny to add a slide regarding that. So we'll be able to kind of take you through a little bit uh, and hopefully explain, explain the changes and the rationale behind them a little bit. Um, so with that, um, we'll move on to Manny. He'll give you a kind of an overview of all the different changes. Um, um, in addition to those changes that are being proposed, we have two alternatives uh, for you to consider related to SB9 applications, and he'll talk a little bit about those as well. So, Manny. Manny, thank you for your thorough staff report and especially for the summary of new le legislation. And yeah, it was really helpful. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, good afternoon. Uh, slide the PowerPoint, please. While they do that, I was thinking when was the last time before I was in person before this commission, and it was December of 2019. I see new faces. 
Welcome back. <laughs> I should perhaps say that uh, Manny is now a principal planner, and he's like also him. our uh, housing specialist within the planning division. Thank you. Um, just to cover the staff report briefly, uh, in drafting court amendments, staff follows the case principle, which is essentially making sure um, the code is clear, affordable, simple, and, uh, and enforceable. Well, with that in mind, staff rec requests that the commission review and discuss the proposed amendments, take public testimony, and direct staff for next steps. Uh, the next step after today's uh, workshop is to come back before the commission on the 22nd of this month for formal recommendation to the board. Uh, next slide, please. There are five topics the staff report covers. Um, the first set of amendments is to make corrections and clarifications within the code. Uh, the next two is really to implement uh, the recent countywide plan amendments and housing element updates. Uh, the third amendment is to implement some of the most relevant state laws to our code and how we process applications. And the last two sets of changes are um, revisions to the proposed revisions to the form-based code and also um, revisions to the SB9 uh, ordinance of the county's ordinance. Uh, next slide, please. And the topic of clarifications, corrections. Um, the amendments proposed under this section provide clarifications and corrections and do not change or, or propose or introduce new topics or regulations. For example, under the housing overlay district, a site in Tamales is listed as twice, one is in Tang Junction, one is, one is in Tamales. Similarly, a site in uh, Novato is listed in two places when it's one, it should be only listed in one place. Um, other uh, clarifications include, for instance, the county is not subject to SB 35, so we are making it clear. Uh, we are also making it clear that uh, some of those state legislative man legislation, state mandated housing policy projects for multifamily housing will be the subject to reform-based code. Uh, next slide, please. Um, but with the with respect to the countywide plan amendments, as you know, the board adopted the countywide plan amendments and adopted housing elements. Uh, both the countywide plan amendments and housing elements are in effect. The amendments proposed under this topic are intended to align the development code with the countywide plan amendments that the board adopted last year. For example, the countywide plan policies now state all fractional numbers must be rounded up. Our policies related to the lower end of the density range were deleted last year. The DEV, we're making those DEV code changes to align it. We're not proposing any new changes. Again, I just want to emphasize that all the proposed development code changes under this topic are intended to create consistency between the development code and the countywide plan. No new programs or regulations are proposed. Next slide, please. Uh, similarly, with the respect to housing element, as you know, the housing element included 20, 32 or 33 policies. Not all of them affect the uh, dev code, but some of them do. Um, again, the changes proposed under this section are intended to implement the housing element update. Uh, but again, similar to the countywide plan amendment, uh, we're not 
introducing any new technologies. <coughs> uh, next slide, please. Uh, as you know, the state has passed, by my count, close to 120 state, uh, housing bills, just have focused on housing laws since 2016. Uh, we are pr proposing a set of amendments to implement housing uh, laws of the state of state state of California housing laws. In particular, as you will notice, this, the density bonus provisions of the county has not been updated since 2021, and that chapter sees the most revision. Uh, the other change we've done is reflect this, the most recent change to SB 35, um, and also codify AB 2011. Um, AB 2011 essentially creates a, it took effect as July last year. We haven't had any applications. In short, it creates, uh, it allows development to occur in commercially zoned properties through a ministerial review process. Uh, we don't want to get off, caught off guard, so we're proposing them uh, to codify it locally, but also make it subject to the form-based code. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, the form-based code. Um, I would say for about a year and a half, We've had tons of comments from the uh, design professionals and some homeowners who wish to do some kind of multifamily housing. And the, the most common uh, themes that have come up is the restrictions on sloped developments. Uh, currently, the form-based code limits development in sloped areas to 10% uh, or to purpose rebuild within uh, existing footprint. Well, there's been requests to act either remove that table, but staff is recommending instead <coughs> to increase it to 35%, from 10 to 35% uh, for a greenfield, and then for infield, either to the same footprint or consistent up to 35%, whichever is greater. I think this would address not all, but most, most of the comments that we receive from design professionals. Uh, the other changes not shown on the slide is um, the window and the window insets and door insets are were more, more or less custom left custom sized, mm -hmm. and a lot of people have asked that we revert back to standard size because that adds cost to development. So that's the other change we've made. Um, I can't see the screen. Bench cuts. Uh, Reg, the other change we are proposing is that the we. There is no regulation at the moment, so we regulate the bench cuts, uh, and the proposed is that the width, the depth should be no greater, greater than 50 feet, and then the pads should be, as they move up the slope, 30 feet apart. That's new, new uh, proposed, uh, proposed standards. Uh, next, please. Uh, SB9. Uh, since we thought that we would get a whole bunch of applications, and we haven't, we've only received five uh, urban lot splits, uh, three of which have gone forward, uh, one of which is pending, and one is one was withdrawn. Uh, we have not received for any applications for uh, SB9 home or second unit with an existing uh, lot. And so we've, we've received quite a number of comments on the first step about building a second unit. And the common response or um, feedback we get from homeowners is that 1,200 square feet is too restrictive. And if you think 
factored ADU ordinance, a detached ADU could be 1,200 square feet. So when you add the cost benefit analysis, it just is discouraging for people to build a second unit that could be sold because its size is limiting. So that one of the changes that we recommend the commission consider is increasing the 1,200 square foot feet size to 1,800, so it would be more a starter home, if you will. Uh, uh, something that would differentiate it from ADU, how ADU loss. Uh, the second aspect of it is that um, right now the county has rules in place that say the lots must be abut publicly maintained roadway, that if the lot is split into two, mm -hmm. the house could be on a private, uh, could be, could adjoin a private uh, access easement, but the vacant lot has to be uh, adjacent to a public roadway. Uh, because of that reason, at least one application was withdrawn. Yeah, another application was had didn't go forward. Um, for those urban lot splits we received, only one has gone to a point of three were approved, only one has moved to recordation phase, the other two will probably expire. And it has a lot to do with access easement. So staff is recommending that the commission also give uh, re revisit this issue and see if, if modifying modifying the standard would spur development. Next slide, please. Uh, but today we are asking the commission to um, take receive presentation from staff and provide feedback. And the next meeting, hopefully on the twenty second, we'll be we'll be back with the recommendation for formal adoption. Um, with that, I'll end my presentation. If there are any topics you would like us to get into, we do it. Yeah, I'll just um, add add one thing. You know, I think um, what we're proposing here is essentially not going any farther than is either required by state law or required by the housing element, with some very very limited exceptions. I mean, there's there's one definition of what a detached primary structure is, and that just is basically just bringing into conformance with what we say a detached accessory building is. Um, but apart from that, I mean, there's almost nothing here that we don't have to do. Um, it's, it's, it's really uh, a matter of trying to clarify for ourselves, for your commission, for the board, and mainly for the public, what the standards really are under the housing element and, and under the uh, state uh, requirements. And hopefully we've done a good job of that. Um, and uh, we're very interested in your commission's thoughts about the alternatives regarding uh, SB9, because as you know, those are things that uh, we don't have to do, but we hope you'll consider whether or not, um, given the fact that we have really not seen very much SB9 development, it's something that we want to uh, reconsider um, at this point. Thank you. Thanks, Manny. Commissioner Dickinson. Um, either Jeremy or Manny. Uh, when I was reading through the staff report, attachment two, which is a form-based code changes, made no sense to me at all. I couldn't figure out what was being proposed. And you indicated that you would um, uh, have a slide or something that would explain that? Yeah, we can be a little more specific, though. So um, if you look at the table, 04, 050A, 
can look at before and after of the table. So for um, in that table, it has um, the percentages of the area. Hey, Jeremy, what, what page are you on? Uh, the, go to page 12. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yeah, right, right. I'm looking at the actual thing. I, I think attachment number two and the end of page the 12. second page okay. Thank you. attachment two. Okay. So that's the table 04050A. Maximum amount of sloped area is allowed to be developed. So we're increasing those. Where it was uh, uh, 15 to 25 percent slope um, a on one to three acres, uh, it was 25 percent. We're moving that up. Uh, the similar, if it's over three acres, we're moving that up, I think, to 40%. Um, and then if it's over 25%, that's the bigger change, where previously it was 10% of the of the lot area, and we're recommending pushing that up to 35%. 10% is simply too limiting for um, the developers to follow, and what we're seeing is that basically they're all saying we're, we're going to need to have a waiver of that requirement, uh, and um, that's not really meeting the intent of the code. We want the code to actually work, uh, and so this is, you know, hopefully a more reasonable restriction. The other thing, um, as uh, Manny mentioned, is the the um, you know previously developed sites. So essentially, what we're saying is either you get to redevelop the area that's currently developed, or you get to develop under the new the, the, the new regulations. But if you've already got a site which is developed at, say, 45%, we're not going to say you can only develop 35% of that. We're going to allow you to develop up to the full, the full 45%. Um, it's already a disturbed area, right? That's the, that's the thought behind it. And, um, and then finally, we've added, um, you'll see above that table, it talks about there's uh, A, B, and C in terms of the requirements for slope. We've added a D. And that, that D is about um, grading for bench cuts. And so the, the way it basically is thought to work is that if you're, if you're talking about a small building, say like, a, a, um, like a, a townhouse, you really don't want that to be more than about 30, fi 30 feet deep because you need to have windows on either side and you've got the, the area in the middle. Maybe you can use that for like a staircase or you know hallway or something that doesn't need to have a lot of light, but it can't be too, too deep. We're not talking about double-loaded or anything like that. We're talking about, you know, the smaller buildings. Uh, so that takes up about 30 feet. Um, it's, it's not a lot. Um, and then uh, you need probably at least tw 20 feet in terms of the access driveway in front in order to get the pull-in, turn-out, back-out noses. So what you end up with is about a 50-foot deep um, pad. It's about the minimum that you can get. And we, we, we really want to push people into stepping up the slopes, but we are recognizing that they need to be able to have some pad, and right now they're just, they're just waving out of it. So we, we want to give them some kind of pad that's actually going to work for some smaller, you know, um, kind of missing middle style, style housing, not big apartment buildings, but, you know, some smaller um, missing middle housing that can step up a slope. And that's why we want there to be a little bit of distance in between the pads. Um, we, 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 we said 30 feet. That seemed like a reasonable distance in between pads. Um, we can play with that a, l a little bit if you feel like it's too much or too little. Um, 
I would not make, in terms of the depth of the pad, I would recommend not making it any smaller than 50 feet. It's going to be very difficult to develop any, at any, anything smaller than that. But that's basically what the intent is here. We're trying to make it actually work for sites in Marin um, for uh, developers to, to develop missing middle housing on some slopes that are more than 25% uh, uh, average slope. And we think this is a, a, a way of moving towards that uh, and being a little bit less restrictive will mean, I think, a greater degree of compliance. Thank you. Dickinson. Um, let me follow up. I think now what is going on is the, the second page of that attachment uh, two is the existing chart. And then a couple pages later, like three pages later, there is a proposed chart. Okay, that was that wasn't clear to me at all. And then trying to decipher what the changes are, it looks like in the first column up to one acre, it's going from 10% to 35%. And I'm only talking about the ones that are changing. On the 15 to 25%, it's going from 25% to 40%. On the greater than 25% for one to three acres, it's going from 10% to 35%. And then in the final column, there are over three acres or two changes. It's going from 10% uh, to 40% and from 10% to 35% if it's greater than 25%. Is that a correct interpretation of it? Mm -hmm. Is yeah. those are the only things that are being changed on that chart? On the chart, yes. Well, no, I'm sorry, the, uh, it, the previously developed sites as well. Oh, right, right, right. And then the D, you know, paragraph D is being added to it. Yeah. But those are the only changes that are proposed. That, that's it, yeah. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Curran and Commissioner Sopanisic. Um, thank you. Um, the, uh, I just had a question about the, um, uh, the private street versus the public street for the lot, um, SB9 split. Would that effectively mean that um, a lot could be split and that there's simply a shared driveway? Um, I mean, does, the, does that constitute a private street or privately maintained street? I mean, would, would that be the effect that, that it gets split and then there's a, a, sh a shared driveway with an easement or something like that? Well, a driveway and a street are two different things. They're I know. Defined. That's why I'm asking the yeah, question. They're, de <laughs> trying to they're, defined, they're defined separately. Um, it would still need to be uh, a street, not a driveway, uh, I think. In terms, of, uh, in terms of minimum width and... and uh, I guess that... I mean, maybe, maybe other kinds of curbing or drainage or things like that, but... Um, yeah. So, yeah. So the, I mean, the, the, the difficult, one of the difficult parts about SB9 is that it does not allow us to require off-site improvements. So substandard streets, driveways, whatever you want to call them, um, we cannot require those to be brought up to code. Uh, and therefore, they, they, you know, can pose um, challenges in terms of ingress and, and, and access. Um, but I think it, it still needs to be a street um, defined as such uh, for the development to occur. 
If I could also add. Question on that. If I may also add, um, the f whether it's private, privately maintained road easement or what, what not the definition may be, we would still have to meet the minimum fire access requirements. Okay. Including probably slope um, requirements. Yes, I mean, so you can, right, you can have a driveway to a street or the house, but that driveway would need to meet you know, the, the standard 15% to 18% um, uh, requirement, the, the, if it's new driveway, the, the width, and, and so on. But would the privately maintained street be um, carved out of private property, or, or might it be a public right-of-way? I mean, I'm just, just trying to, I'm just trying to envision how this comes, how this plays out with any given property. Well, so it, a, I mean, a driveway is usually on the subject property. Yes. Right. So, if you're talking about a street that which is off the subject property, um, that's where we cannot require those um, offsite improvements. However, what we were really concerned about uh, when we originally brought this to your commission was the potential for there to be a lot of development of SB9 units that would potentially increase evacuation and that kind of thing. We just haven't seen it. We have not seen that much development. And so, you know, I think probably the concerns were exaggerated at the time. Uh, and given how little we've seen, it, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant to say at this point that there would be any effect on evacuation or access or anything like that because of SB9. It just doesn't, we just don't have the evidence behind it to say that. Well, and based, and based on this exchange, I, I'm, I'm thinking, that this, I, I don't, I don't, I don't oppose what staff is proposing. I'm just trying to understand it um, uh, as an alternative. But my guess is, there would not be, there, there'd be a, a few situations in which it actually came into play. Yeah, I think from based on our experience so far, I think if that's a fair assumption. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so my question is whether the private street would be included in the lot area, which is really kind of a nuance of Commissioner Kern's question. I mean, driveways are typically included in the lot area, but private roads sometimes are and sometimes are not. They can be established by a separate uh, platted parcel with a separate APN or not. I've seen them done both ways, and it usually makes a difference as to whether it's occurring with a subdivision or not. Um, sometimes there's just an easement, which for the public is confusing because then they appear to be like driveways, which is really part of what the question about the common driveway was, I think, earlier. So which regulatory path are we looking at here? And it also is important because if it's if the private road is included in the lot area, then that makes a difference in the lot size and lot configuration. Yeah, um, typically that would be true. I mean, I think you summarized it pretty well. I mean, you do have three di basically three different kinds of streets, right? You have a public street, you have a street which is offered dedication to the subdivision, and then you have a true private street where it's not offered dedication to the, to the subdivision, but it's, it's uh, but, um, adjacent properties have rights to um, to pass over it. And all those things are normally important, especially when you're talking about flurry ratio and, the, and minimum lot size. 
But remember, SB9 doesn't have lawyer ratio or minimum lot size. So it doesn't really make any difference, right? Because SB9 just says that the minimum lot size is 1,200 square feet, which is so limited that, you know, the, the discussion of lawyer ratio doesn't mm -hmm. even come into it. And the, the minimum and the, the size of the SB9 units is also currently limited at 1,200 square feet. So the normal effect that that kind of question would come at um, in terms of lot size and Florida ratio really is not all that important in terms of SB9 units. It just doesn't, it doesn't come into play all that much. Because the allowed um, lot area and size of unit are so close together? Because you're not allowed to apply Florida ratio standards anyway. Yeah. But what about the limit, the size limit of the lot on the ability to subdivide in the first place? Yeah, that's only 1,200 square feet, though. Okay. And so the recommendation to go up to 1,800 is for the building area, not the lot area? Correct. We don't have any control over the lot area. Okay. So we could have an 1,800 square foot residence on a 1,200 square foot lot that would require two stories. Correct. So back to the road question. So... It sounds like there would essentially be no difference between the private road access and a driveway in terms of how it functioned in terms of the lot area. Well, I don't know that I would say that. I mean, remember, a lot of these streets um, are created through the subdivision. And in those cases, a lot of them actually meet the standards, right. right? But currently, if you had a street that was created through the subdivision process, offered dedication to that subdivision, met all the um, current standards of the, of, for road width and horizontal distance and all those types of things, you still would not be able to subdivide under SB9 because it's a private street, not publicly, not a public street. So I think with that explanation, I'd be more interested in differentiating between the driveway and the private street. Is there a way to do that? Yeah, the, but it's already in the code. I mean, there's a different difference between okay. a private street and, and a driveway. I mean, you, you can't have a landlocked parcel. You, you need to have right. a driveway to a, to a street. Okay, so what about the flag lot scenario? Would, would this address that as well? Flag lots aren't an issue because the, the driveway would be through the flag pole, and that's actually on the property. Right. So in that case, it's not an off-site improvement. In that case, we can require that they meet all of the standards, and, and we would. Right, so if but you haven't been seeing any of those either for, like, land area in the back of existing structures? Well, I think we did see one, which is essentially, a, I think, a, um, a, a flag lot. And so I think, you know, what, pe what people can do is they can, if they've got, say, an existing building, um, they can create a new lot in front of their existing building, their existing building would have a flagpole where the, where the driveway would be, and the new lot would take direct access. Right, so that that does come up. I, I should say, like part of the reason I think we're not seeing people use SB nine all that much is because you know most of the properties in Marin County are already developed, and they usually stuck their house in the middle of the site, right? And so it's pretty awkward <laughs> to to put another house you know, on, on your property without really affecting, especially if you live there, really affecting the, how nice your property is. And so, right. you know, for, I mean, it sounds, 
it sounds in the law like this might you know, come up all the time, but then in the, as a practical matter, people just don't really want to do it all that much. Commissioner Dickinson. <clears throat> I had uh, two questions about the legislation. And the first one is um, SB uh, 684, which is on page uh, 5, um, which says authorizes subdivision of smaller multifamily zone parcels, streamlining the process, and imposing a 90-day decision-making mandate. And my question is, does that allow condo conversions of small multifamily parcels, which generally the county hasn't allowed in decades? But So that law doesn't apply to Marin County because it's based on population of half a million people. Oh, okay. It wasn't clear why you said it um, didn't apply to Marin. So it doesn't apply at all. It so does. we don't have to worry about like a duplex being subdivided into two lots. As it stands today, it requires half a million population, therefore it does not apply to Marin okay. County. And then my other question, and this kind of overlaps AB uh, 2011 and uh, SB 6, which allows for um, uh, residential development, ministerial residential development that's a CEQA exempt. Um, and I understand on the HOD sites that is generally the case, but in the case of something like Marinwood Shopping Center, um, does, I guess it would be AB um, 2011, would that allow a ministerial approval of a CEQA exempt project? And somewhere in there I saw a reference to uh, like 65 feet high and... Um, well, let's differentiate the two laws. Um, AB 2011 creates the CEQA exempt ministerial review process. SB 6 does not. So that's the reason why we do not include it in our code. Uh, SB 6 does not have inclusionary requirements, uh, wage prevailing wage requirements and so forth. Um, whereas AB 2011 has a set of standards very similar to the SB 35. So uh, theoretically, whoever owns um, Marinewood Shopping Center, this commercial property, could, uh, if they meet all the standards of AB 2011, could theoretically apply under AB 2011. Conversely, um, someone who is not, um, if they're also interested, they could apply in, under SB 6, but they would have to go through the traditional review process. For I see no, I don't see any incentive for anyone to apply under SB 6 in within Marin County because we have inclusionary requirements. Uh, and we also have uh, <coughs> a very uh, high level of standard, very high level design review process, which SB 6 would be subject to. AB 2011 is not. Okay, in looking at the maps um, that you had in there for... Yep. Mm -hmm. So uh, if I may say one more thing about the list of preliminary sites that we have compiled. Um, this is very preliminary, and we would actually have to go site-by-site -site analysis to make sure they, they meet every code. Uh, one of the... We don't have a way of knowing if the sites include habitat or sensitive natural resources, those are really based on a certain through uh, site-based 
site-specific biological site assessments, but out of abundance of caution, we included all the ones that could theoretically qualify, including Marin Wood Shopping Center. Yeah, actually, so Marin Wood, um, is, you, it's, it, part of it is included, and part of it is not. Marin Wood has a number of different parcels. Right, and it includes so, the gas station, I think, in the map. But. Yeah, but the, the issue is it, um, it does not apply to parcels that w are within a certain distance of the freeway. So that's why you're seeing the southern portion of the Marinwood site is not included in 2011. This, this site is all included in the HOD, that, however. Um, and it's, I mean, in my view, it's more likely that, the, that a developer would, have the, would be trying to develop the entire site and probably develop it under the HOD rather than 2011. I mean, it doesn't, it's not for sure, but it, since you, you don't have the same protections under 2011 on the southern, on the southern portion of the site, it, it, it probably makes sense to most developers to try to develop it all together. And uh, the southern portion is a, a site owned by the school district, as I recall. It yes. has a creek running through it and a lot of other constraints. But, but I think the um, SB 2011 map shows a gas station, which was not included as an HOD site, but it would qualify under uh, 2011, right? And I think it was because they were within a half a mile of a major transit stop that they would be entitled to the 65-foot height limit ministerially. Yeah, I just want to be absolutely clear about what we're showing. These maps are in the indication of what our analysis shows that the state law applies to. They do not, they are not an indication of where we think you should apply the new code section to. Right, so these are not proposed. This is just an analysis of what already exists under the state law. I think the vast majority of the sites were shown as HO these sites anyway, like in Kentfield. Some of them were, a few of them weren't, but a lot of them overlap the HOD designation, which would be ministerially, uh, a ministerial site and CEQA exempt, right? Correct. Okay. Commissioner Stepanovich. A couple more follow-up questions on the uh, substandard. Uh, just in terms of the numbers that have been arrived at now under the proposed uh, regulations of going to 35% uh, for slopes over 25%. Um, and especially on, on properties that have three acres or more, which are fairly substantial. Uh, is there any reason um, for thinking now to go to, let's say, 35% versus 25% or, or some other percentage to still try to minimize the amount of uh, steep slope uh, development? You know, it's it, it's so tough to like come up with sort of any kind of scientific rationale behind these because every different slope, every different site is different, and when you're talking about a standard like this, you're trying to have one size fits all, and um, it's very difficult to do that. Uh, we thought that you know, 35, 10 percent was clearly too low. It was not working for developers. Um, you know, we generally have a 30 percent Fourier ratio standard, um, but even but that's really for single-family detached, uh, and even uh, and even that it seemed like it was maybe a little bit too low. Thirty-five percent seemed like, given the um, context of the rest of the table, um, that seemed like a, a, a reasonable figure to come up with. 
based on the figures that were come up with for other slopes and other area lot areas. So with respect to the form-based code standards, um, would it be a means on a particular project, though, to still encourage the development to stay off the steeper slope, or um, would a developer pretty much, uh, without any limitations, have the ability to be built on, on the steeper side of the property? I, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that come into play there, um, but it, it, typically a developer is not going to want to develop on the steepest slope part of, of the property for financial reasons. It just becomes, you know, prohibitively expensive. Um, there are always cases where they will want to. I mean, that's why I've seen myself in my own experience. Yeah, um, and, and so, for example, you may have a situation where there's a portion of an, an unstable portion of a slope where what they want to do is over-excavate and then reconstruct, and, and so the development actually reduces the landslide hazard. Um, so you, you can sometimes find issues like that. Um, but typically, I, I, it's usual, I mean, that people are going to want to be developing on the, the, the less steep portion. Um, but that said, I mean, the, the way that you actually have to approach design on steep slopes is you need to design the access and the parking first. And then you design where the buildings can go. Because the access and the parking, you really need to have flat areas, whereas buildings can go on much more... Um, steep areas, uh, you have a lot more flexibility there. Um, so, I mean, if that, and they will do that if they have to. Uh, so, I, I, I guess I'm reluctant to recommend anything where you're trying to break up a slope and say you can't have a structure on the steepest portion um, rather than the less port, uh, l less steep portion, because they'll want to do that anyway if they can. But then they're going to be constrained in terms of the parking and the turnaround areas. Well, one of the questions. Other comments made, but one of the architects was it didn't, his comments did not seem to go so much to the standards, but to the me method of calculating the slope. And um, have there been issues with just the manner in which we calculate slopes, where there's varied terrain, and there's multiple calculations that have to be made? And I'm just curious again, was there any merit to the idea maybe there could be a way of simplifying the methodology for actually calculating the slope itself? Uh, the way you calculate slopes, I mean, it, it, it's a little bit complex to a layperson, I think, but it's actually very universal. Um, so I would be reluctant to start, I mean, th there's a calculation which you need to run based on the topography and the and total area and those types of things. I'd be very reluctant to change that. I've seen that in multiple other jurisdictions as well. It's a fairly standard way of, of calculating slopes. So I don't think that that's really the issue. The issue is, you know, how do you come up with the most um, advisable place in a particular property to develop? And there's a lot of factors that go into that. I'm not sure it would make it simpler. I think it would be more complicated. Yeah. Yeah, further questions about that? Go ahead. So what I'm trying to understand, you mentioned that we have tools in the form-based code to encourage stepping the structure up the slope. So the relationship between uh, or the, hmm, the utility of regulations is what I'm thinking about. So is it better to allow a bigger pad to get a reasonable size house that meets our housing goals? Um, or is it, are we trying to create a smaller pad that includes 
includes another portion of a structure that steps up the slope? Well, th um, going back to what I was saying previously, it was not that the structure would step up the slope. It's that the pads would step up the slope. Okay. So you'd have a pad with one structure. That would be a maximum 50 feet deep. And then 30 feet behind that pad, you would have another pad. I see. Mul with another a site structure. with multiple pads you're talking so about. So multiple pads, each with an individual structure, rather than the structure itself stepping up the slope. <clears throat> I see. So the form-based code does not address that situation? Yeah, it it does in, in various ways. So it has, like, requirements about the... Um, height of retaining wall, for example, and, and various other things. So it, it, it does, but um, I, I think not adequately, and that's why we're proposing this, um, this bench cut standard. So sometimes it's possible to get a less grading or a smaller pad if there is a requirement to step up the slope, and generally that's controlled through a height standard. Um, but I'm not certain that it's it's really a good idea to encourage the amount of grading to create larger pads for larger structures. Yeah, it's done the in the fifties and the sixties, right? And we have that all around in Marin, but there are definitely slope stability issues, and there's also a. I mean, one of our goals is to have uh, missing middle housing. So if the housing, if the size of the structure gets really large, there, it's not going to be missing middle housing. Yeah, that's right, and that's why it's only 50 feet deep. Um, if I mean, if you if you wanted I mean, real pad grading, you're going to have much much deeper pads, uh, and that's where you can get you know the um, apartment building size. Right. Yeah. So you're assuming the parking and the access is part of that 50 feet. Yes. The, the pad needs to accommodate that. Access could be, the, the driveway could be outside the 50 feet if it meets slope requirements. So it's really the parking that we're talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, the driveway would need to take you out to the street. So presumably right. not all of it's going to be on the pad. Sometimes right. it will be, but some, not some, The turnaround would probably be on the pad. Yeah. Have to be on the pad. Okay, so that's my concern, is if, if the pad ends up being too large, that we are basically inadvertently encouraging higher income housing that doesn't really meet our goals for missing middle. I mean, in well, the case I, of townhouse units, that would not be so much the case because you can have multiple units on one pad. Right. Well, so I, I look at missing middle as not about middle income. I look at missing middle as in terms of the overall size and density. So missing middle is in between detached single family and the larger kind of apartment buildings you'll see in I an see. urban area. The housing form, not an income type. Right. Yeah. I see. Well, that's an important distinction. So, and I'm not saying you wouldn't be able to build any kind of apartment, you know, on on this size of pad. You you would, uh, and that's also a reason because you know with that kind of multifamily, you often need to be able to get an elevator in. Uh, right. So you you don't want in that kind of situation, you can't really step it up the slope the way that you might with just a single-family residence where you don't have the same accessibility requirements. It's a different challenge, for sure. It's a different challenge, yeah. So the, the comments that you've gotten from the development community, is that for multifamily housing or for single-family housing? Multifamily.
everybody's trying to figure it out, right? They're trying to work within the code, actually, I think, um, you know, mm -hmm. and they're asking for waivers when they can't. And we're trying to make sure the code works uh, and gets us the missing middle housing that, that we understood is, is the goal. Um, I have a, another question, and that is regarding this issue of changing the rounding up provisions. Um, in some places, the existing code says 0.9 or more you round up. In other places, it says 0.5 or more you round up or 0.5 or less you actually round down. Is that change something that is in the housing element? Yes, the countywide plan amendments said to round up everything, but it's also in the housing element. All fractions shall be rounded up. Okay. So and we never got to the point of talking about the details of the housing element, because... Yeah. <laughs> isn't that in state law? I think that's in that's state law. That's also in the state laws, as, yeah. as long as it is a density bonus project. Yeah, so if it's point .2, you round up. Points one, zero one ground. Yeah, anything, yeah. any decimal you round up, yeah. I think is in the state law. It's in the state law in two places, under state density bonus law. It's also under the housing element law. And that applies to any um, uh, any parcel? Any, any application for subdivision. Hmm, okay. I don't think it's limited to subdivision. Uh, if it's density bonus, then obviously. Yeah, if, it's yeah. if it's a density bonus project, you round up. Always. Every calculation, too. Every every portion of every calculation that yields a fraction, you round up. Every parking style, parking fraction is round down. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or eliminate completely. <laughs> Any other questions for staff? Okay, well, I'd like to open the public comment portion of the meeting. But I don't see any members of the public. So I'm going to open it and close it um, and bring it back to, yes, Peggy, I, I Commissioner Curran. I do have one, uh, one question. Um, the, uh, on um, uh, three, uh, Roman numeral 3-49, um, mm -hmm. Uh, 24.03. Um, Are you question. referring to a code section? Yeah. Attachments. What is she going to? The replacement units. Oh, um, the density bonus. Okay. Just the development code amendment section. This is yes. Okay. And it, and what was the? Uh, uh, Twenty-two twenty-four oh three oh. Twenty-four oh three oh. Okay. Placement units. I just had a question. Um, it, it, it talks about um, the units in the development being affordable, and it says exclusive of manager's unit or units. Um, is there any um, uh, fixed ratio of, of the size of a project and how many manager's units are? I mean, can, can a developer simply d decree that these three will be manager's units? Um, um, or uh, it, it, I'm wondering if that should be capped in some way or there should be some ratio of what's permissible to the size of the project, you know, that um, uh, it just seems like a potential loophole if it's something can just be designated as a manager's unit 
and therefore doesn't have to be affordable. This was lifted from the state density bonus law, and it's, that's how it's written. It's straight, yeah. That's just what it is. Yeah, and I've seen jurisdictions limited to two. Uh, so it could be limited. Right, it could be. I've seen, for example, City of Oakland limits it to three. Um, Berkeley limits it to two. Limit it, um, I, someone could probably seek a waiver, I presume. Um, but I, it just seems to me. It wouldn't be a waiver, it would be a concession. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's a use issue, not a development issue, yeah. Um, well, it, and maybe it's not of concern to anybody, but it just seemed to me uh, uh, very loose. I would personally rather have it be limited, or or which shall not exceed, which shall not exceed um, ten percent. If there's a if there's a common uh, sentiment among the commission, um, then we can look at that and. and bring something back in a couple of weeks that would limit that. I think probably we'd uh, want to check about it before um, before making any recommendation, but that's certainly something. If there is that sentiment that you do want to see a limitation on the number of management units, then we'll, we can look back at, look into that and bring something back to you in a couple of weeks. Well, I, I appreciate hearing that. So I'd be interested in that, and also I'm interested if there can be a limitation on the size of the management units because or what that what the size how that works with the overall unit count in a building because under the under m many of the state regulations the affordable units have to have to approximate the the total mix of units in the building so but we I would be interested in knowing what the managers unit are are exceptions to that or if they're included in that mix evaluation because we wouldn't want the manager's units to be the three-bedroom units necessarily, right? Why not? Well, I don't know. Maybe we would. That's a policy question, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, managers have families too, so I'm not sure we would want to limit the number of Yeah, well, maybe we would. Maybe there's a good argument for that. But it's a, that is a, I think we just need to know what it is we're doing. Okay, we'll, we'll look at it. Thank you. Dickinson. <laughs> Actually, I have one more. And this is under the um, code amendment, the definition, second to the last page. Um, and here, part of it I understand, and part of it I think is a new concept, and that is total units at about the middle of the page. Total units or total dwelling units definition. A calculation of the following, um, of the number of units that, and the first one, my understanding is state law requires that, the density bonus units allowed in the state law don't count. But then now it says includes a unit designated to satisfy an inclusionary zoning requirement of Marin County. And I thought historically, if a site allowed 100 units and 20% had to be below market rate under the inclusionary, 20% of the 100. And now it sounds like this adds the 20% to that. Are we required to do that? I don't think, I mean, I think we've always treated the total number of units as including the affordable unit units. But this definition seems, it says, includes a unit designated to satisfy an inclusionary zoning requirement of Marin County. Right, that's the way we've always done it. 
it excludes it from the density calculation. So if it's 100 units. No, it says includes oh. it. It's includes included. it. We've never okay. excluded it. Yeah, okay. Is, is it just, right. it's just reflecting the, the state law is excluded, but under uh, our inclusionary requirement, it would count. I see, yes, right. Okay. Right, right, yes. Other questions for staff or comments? Because we are now in the comment portion of the hearing. Offer some direction to staff for next week other than what? Um, we would ask you to um, weigh in on the two alternatives. Ah, yes, yeah. right, right, right. So let's start uh, And with anything that. else you would like um, as well, of course, but specifically on those two alternatives. Let's start with the SB9 alternatives. Anyone? Commissioner uh, no, 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 no. Curran. I, I thought your alternative number one, actually these are not alternative to each other, they can both be. Um, uh, made sense. I, I thought the proposal. Anyone else? Yeah, likewise. I thought it's a great idea because, again, trying to develop more housing that's in that 1,400 to 1,800 square foot range, I think it's a terrific idea for us to continue to try to work at. So I'm strongly in favor of that proposal. Of provision number one. And, and, and number two, on, with regards to a uh, lot being served by a private street, I'm, I'm also okay with that. And Commissioner Curran, what's your opinion on? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm still a little fuzzy on what the actual um, uh, uh, implication of that would be, um, but I, I'm not worried about it particularly, so I'm all right. Commissioner Dickinson. Actually, I have problems with the first one, changing the size, and the commission actually recommended that the size be limited to 1,000 square feet, and the board increased that to uh, 1,200. And I think where you have a situation where someone is um, uh, basically doing it ministerially, <laughs> um, that it, it, it if the limit is, as it is now, is 1,200 square feet, it doesn't mean you can't do a bigger one, but it just, you'd have to go through a discretionary approval. And there may be some cases where that is appropriate. I don't think across the board it is a good idea to open the door to 1,800 square foot uh, houses being built on, on existing properties. Um, and the idea was to include to encourage relatively more affordable units. 1,800 square feet is bigger than my house. Um, and I just think it's going against the, 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 um, the driving motivation behind this. And it will create issues with neighbors when they find out the neighbor can build an 1,800 square foot unit on their property. And what about your thoughts on oh, the, the I, I don't have strong opinions about that. I could go either way. I don't think it's going to uh, be a major issue. Um, I could go either way on that one. What, was yeah. there a particular reason why you chose 1,800? Well, which was a 50% increase? 
Yeah, no, it's not because of that. It, I mean, the we, we do try to tie it to other things in the code if we can. So the, the smallest conventional zoning district in, in uh, the county is uh, R1B1, which is a 6,000-square-foot uh, lot cover lot area um, with a floor area ratio standard of 30% equals 1,800 square feet. So elsewhere in the code, um, the lowest restriction is for 1,800 square feet for a primary dwelling unit. So we're, we're matching that. It, it probably is true that um, d depending on how the second provision is interpreted, whether it really does in fact sort of end up being a shared driveway um, that somehow is, makes a street, it, it makes um, together those two provisions could, could um, cause an increase in usage of this, of this bill. I still don't think it's going to be widespread. I think there's, but the uh, the the private street thing is a is a significant the, the current requirement that it be public street is a significant constraint, and basically it almost means you have to be on a corner, um, to to have the a portion of the property have comparable access to a public street. In all likelihood, it's a corner corner lot. Yeah, we I mean we do think of these alternatives would increase the. Uh, amount of people using SB9. That's why they're That's your objective. to you. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's increasing it above one, right? <laughs> right now, yes. So, you know, it's not huge. Commissioner Lind. I tend to agree with Commissioner Dickinson about alternative one. I'm not comfortable with the 1800, maybe larger than 1200, but not as large as 1800. I don't, I mean, I understand your argument about it exists elsewhere in the code, but when that was created, that was anticipating one unit per parcel. So this is a different situation. And I think that it's a, you know, this is one of those balancing acts. We want more SB9 units by policy, and they'll help us meet our RENA numbers. But on the other hand, we also want smaller units that will buy will be more market rate affordable so i might be looking for some compromise there have you seen other numbers in other jurisdictions jeremy oh i think there's a variety i mean yeah. i think they're they're probably going up to 1800 you know 1400 and 1600 are um i think 1600 is probably pretty common and also point out, you don't need to make a decision today. I mean, if right. Yeah, it's something to think about. Then we can, we'll, we'll put it into the, both of these into the amendments, and then you can take a vote on it, right? I mean. That was my concern, too. It's, it's a big jump. And I remember the discussion between, of limiting it to 1,000. Right. Um, so now going up to 1,800 seems like, like a, a lot. 1,800's um, a pretty big house. It's mm -hmm. a big house. Yeah, I mean, I live in an 1800 square foot house, so I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, let me just ask about the, um, the access. If a house has access on a driveway easement over someone else's property, and then they chose to, um, to do either a subdivision or an additional unit on using 
the easement over the neighbor's property. I mean, it kind of becomes a civil matter in terms of whether they have the right to do it, I guess, and or whether they're overburdening the easement. And yeah, I mean, with that, this that's one reason that the public right of way um, uh, removes that that issue altogether. It doesn't, though, because I mean, regardless of the driveway. What matters is whether or not they've got access to a publicly maintained street. I don't think this change affects what you do about the driveway either way. But if the existing parcel has access by a, a driveway easement over the, the next door neighbor's property, and then that owner that has the easement access wants to subdivide their property, and then the only access is over that driveway easement, so could we Which is actually on a neighbor's property. Could we put in a provision that such a private easement would need to be on your on the subject property, not an adjoining property? Yep. So you could limit your your own property that way. Yeah. But so that, me, would, that retains the ability of others, adjacent owners, to have the same right. Yeah, I would. I would. I'd be very cautious about like getting into um, easement rights. Yeah. <laughs> right. Those are those are civil issues, and the, and the county generally stays out of those types of, of things. I mean, I think what's perhaps more important in this case is, and um, looking for the exact page this is on, I think it actually requires frontage, not just access. Is that right, Manny? Yes, frontage. And where's the exact language and what page is it? No, it's not included on this because it was, it's been proposed as, as is. Yeah, right. It's not, it's not in here. Yeah, so it's fr it's actually frontage. So you know, I'll, I'll amend what I what I said. I think it does kind of um, under the current code require frontage on a publicly maintained street. So if you had an access easement under their current code, and you did not have it did not have frontage, and it would not be allowed. But if you remove that requirement, as long as you have access you'd be able to develop under or subdivide under SB9. So that's when it could go on the, the easement could go on the neighbor's property. Mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. But you most likely will not be able to record a map split without consultation with the neighbors who have easements. The kind of a nightmare. In order to record any, in order to gain access to the easement still requires concurrent Consent from easement holders. Well, it depends. I mean, that, that's a, that's a civil issue. Often, what you're talking about are um, are roadways that were offered dedication in a subdivision but never accepted. That's really what you're dealing with, right? So everybody in that subdivision has um, some rights. The county has some rights, um, but it's not it's not as clear cut as like a driveway easement perhaps would be. So that would be a public right-of-way, not necessarily a public well, street. No, I think it would not be a public right-of-way unless it's actually maintained. Well, no, public as opposed to county-maintained. Because in a lot of those subdivision situations where the county never accepted it in their public rights-of-way, um, and anyone in that subdivision has a right to use it, it's just not a county-maintained street. It, the, I think the standard is it needs to be managed by the public. I'm sorry, by a public agency. So that would be either the county, it could be a city, or it could be Caltrans. 
So if it's, that's what the standard is right now. You need to have four, if you're doing a lot split, and the undeveloped portion of the property right, is um, part of that lot split, then uh, that portion needs to have frontage on a publicly maintained right-of-way. And, and so something which is offered dedication to the subdivision would not count. If you make this change, then it would count. That'd be f you'd be able to do those subdivisions. I think uh, uh, I, I don't have a specific proposal, but I think there's a like in between area there where it could be less than we currently require, but not um, open it to, to anything. We'll we'll look at that, but um, you know we went through this before and went in circles a number of times about like what we could do, and and state law is like pretty specific. It allows you to have the language that we have or to not have the language that we have, but it doesn't really allow you to do much else. To place other restrictions, require offsite improvements, any number of things which are sort of like common sense ways of dealing with it. And that was always the problem with this, right? Always what we wanted to address was what if you have a substandard street in an area where you're worried about evacuation, right? And the state law doesn't allow us to get to that because we can't use whether or not it, it meets the standards or doesn't meet the standards as a criteria. So you end up using whether it's private or public as a sort of de facto criteria because that's the best you can use under state law. So it's really, I mean, it's not well thought out. I mean, SB9 is not well thought out in, at the state level. Um, we were trying to do the best we could, but it's very difficult to come up with kind of really common sense approaches to dealing with these roads rights of way without just imposing this requirement, which is why we recommended opposing it in the, imposing it in the first place. But in the intervening period, it just, we just haven't seen very many applications. Well, that was Mr. Lynn. So would the restriction on offsite improvements uh, address the concern about the easement being on the neighbor's property? That would be off-site to the... Yeah, that would say you, they were not allowed to, yeah. um, they wouldn't have to, to improve it. it. Yeah. So that might solve that particular problem. So, that, so such an easement could only go on the subject property because otherwise it would be off-site improvements. Well, you don't need an easement on your own property, but... But if you were going to put a house in the back, you could do that with a private easement. Would there ever be a situation? Yeah, it's that's gotta, true. It's got to connect true. to a road somewhere. Yeah, you. I mean, you're right. You could, although in reality, you'd probably do a flag rather than an easement. Right. Yeah. Depends on who wants to have control of the frontage. Want the person in back to have control of the frontage if you were going to sell it off, for example. <laughs> Appearance matters to some people. Commissioner Curran. Uh, and we, we don't have to resolve this today. I think you coming back with some ideas is a good, is a good one. But the, um, well, we're kind of interchangeably using the terms um, pub, public right-of-way and publicly maintained access, which is different. I mean, there's lots of streets, lots, all over the place that are public, public access, but they're privately maintained. Um, and so I'm not sure what the... If, if, 
what's the governing principle here? Is it, is it about public access that anybody has a right to drive over it, or is it about who maintains it? it think of it in terms of the fact that we're, what we're really trying to get at is whether or not it meets the standards. So it's really, it's really the maintenance that matters. Does it meet those standards? Is it maintained by the public? If the county's maintaining it, it's much more likely that it's going to be meeting those standards, and that's the purpose of the state law as well, I think. So it's really about um, not not just allowing that your proposal allowing that to be private, but but um, but about um, reducing the degree of um, of, of uh, uh, reducing the standard to which it's built, simplifying or reducing the standard to which it's built. You're saying if it, you're saying if it's a if it's a county uh, road, county maintained road, it's going to it's going to be much more likely to meet certain standards, fire standards, things like that. More likely, yeah. Not yeah. Are, so are we by, by saying we we want to relinquish that and let this be private? That we are in, in either either intentionally or or de facto reducing the likely standard to which it's built. And is, is that, in fact, that's the concept, to make it more? Yeah, and that's why we originally, a few years ago, when we first brought this forward, recommended that you include this provision from state law. Yeah. Because there's a higher likelihood that you'll be able to, re that, it, that the, the street that it's taking access from is publicly maintained and therefore meets the standards. See, I assumed when I first read this um, um, that, that, that you would that you were looking at basically a lot that would need to be a flag lot, um, a, a, a landlocked, a landlocked back of a large parcel, and the front of the parcel is on the street. The back of the parcel, no street, um, can't do can't do a, 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 an SB nine split um, unless you have some other workaround like a shared driveway or something like that to. Because it, it, by definition, it doesn't, and it's never going to adjoin a public street. So it's really, I mean, I thought that was your goal here was to make it easier to develop portions of lots that are kind of landlocked. I, 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 I don't want to downplay your concerns about these private driveways, but that's not really the issue. The issue is all these subdivisions that have uh, that have streets for the subdivision, but that are not maintained by the public, that's where the, the volume of these lots is actually. It's not gonna be on necessarily all the little private driveways that are, that are around. Um, and so that's, that's really the, the issue I think that's uh, most important in terms of our ability to increase the number of SB9 projects that are going forward. It's not the private driveways across someone's property. It's really these subdivisions with streets that are created in the subdivision, but then they're not publicly maintained. So it's whole, it's whole neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the whole neighborhoods. The street network of developed properties that right. are precluded from even considering SB9 because they are not private streets. Exactly. Not public streets. Mm -hmm. but, but, they, but they are public streets. Different issue. I mean, they're pu the public can drive over these streets. It's right, they're, pu they're not public, public access, but they're not maintained. I understand, but yeah. that's why I'm talking about some of the terminology is confusing because a public it's street and a publicly maintained street are two different things. If it's offered for dedication to the subdivision that is not treated as a public street, 
it's the not public. Even owners own it. They all have a percentage share. Right. Right, and they have the to maintain it. But, subdivision too. but I have a legal right to cruise that street if I want to. They're not allowed to gate it off. They're not. Most of the time, those kinds of those kinds of streets are are available to the are required to be available to the public. Well, we have policies about gating off, gating them off, but most subdivisions in California are, are gated subdivisions with private streets. Well, uh, I, those certainly exist, but there's um, there's lots of there's lots of streets around that are privately maintained but publicly available, um, and in fact required. When we were looking at the Martha property um, years ago, when I was in Tiburon, um, there was going to be a whole privately maintained network of streets, but it was in the agreement that a ended up not being not <laughs> going forward. Um, it was they they. They could not close it off. It had to be available to the public. The public could drive through it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so there is there there there's lots of different situations out there. We should just, I think, but leave, it, leave it to you to bring something back to us. But the um, but I think we should be mindful of the the, the, these, the terminology uh, is confusing. matters and is confusing. And yeah, I I understand that. We'll bring something that back to you that's really that that's more clear. But keep in mind, there are these three different things. There's the publicly, there's a subdivision, and then there's the real private easement. So I think what you've brought up are some really great points about those you know, real private easements for driveways. But the key issue in terms of the restriction from this regulation is not about that. It's really about these subdivision streets that serve a neighborhood but are not publicly maintained. And that's what removing this restriction would open up. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. I, yeah. I, I, under, I understand that as, as the objective. That, that's certainly not the way this read to me. But I, yeah, we don't actually have the language in here. That's why I'm suggesting we bring back an ac the actual yeah. language so you can yes. say okay. yes. An alternative, yeah. Commissioner Dickinson. No, based on the discussion um, if we're limited by state law in terms of publicly maintained um, then I just keep it the way it is now I, I would have been open to um, to other less restrictive options but it sounds like we don't have the ability to do that if it has to be publicly maintained as opposed to a public right away and there are plenty of streets in the county that were offered never accepted by the county and no, no one really knows the difference, but um, but it sounds like we don't have the the ability to kind of fine tune it. But I think that's that, I think that's an excellent point. We don't really have the ability to fine tune it. Comments, direction, etc. Oh, or yes. this is in general? Okay. I am not comfortable with the change to the form-based code to increase the percentages that much. I mean, I think some small increase may be appropriate as a first step to see what happens, but to go from, um, to go from uh, 10% to increase. I mean, I could see going to maybe 15 or maybe even 20, but it just seems like the steps here are huge. 
and um, I think we should have more experience with this before we recommend something that big on the ones that are changing. I mean, up to 40%, uh, 35%. Um, I think there could be some flexibility, but not what's proposed in the staff. Seems to be sort of a general comment, right? Between 1,200 and 1,800 is too big of a jump. 10% to 35% is too big of a jump. It's more, more. I mean, if there's a sentiment among the rest of the commissioners for that, we can look at, you know, maybe somewhere in between the 10 and the 35. Okay. There support for that? Yes. There is, but um, right now, if. Um, Developers seek a waiver. Is that that's correct? I mean, if they come in and mm -hmm. they feel too constrained by what, what the percentage is, and you're saying you want to codify something different because people are coming in asking for waivers, did I, did I, did I correctly understand you to say that? Yeah. I mean, if if I mean they can demonstrate that they can't actually develop using our rules, then they'll just waive out of them. So there is a workaround already that exists. Well, yeah, there there is, but I mean, we we want them to work without waving out of everything. Right. <laughs> yes, un understood. Yeah. But so, but I think the point is well taken that maybe some other middle ground is, uh, yeah, so, so to speak, is going to be more. Acceptable. So what's the procedural difference? It's no longer ministerial; has to go through the discretionary review process no. if it's a waiver. No, waivers are ministerial. Okay, so if they if it's a, if they can justify the waiver under the state housing law, then it's still ministerial. Well, the burden is on us to say that, they, that we can't grant it. Okay. Right. okay. It's going to be true no matter what the number is. Right. If the criteria is that you can't build the unit, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, part of this is, you know, as we've been, uh, this is not always true, but as we've been working with actual architects, not, not the lawyers, but with the architects, Careful. they're trying to, yeah. <laughs> They're tr they're trying to actually follow the code. Like they're they're working through it and seeing what they can do to actually follow it. So if you make it impossible, then the lawyers are going to involved. But if you if you make it something that they can actually do, then they'll try to come up with something that works. So we'll we'll look at those, um, you know the the eighteen hundred versus something a little bit less. We'll look at the thirty five percent versus something a little bit less, and and then. Um, put the exact language uh, for the alternatives in, so you actually have. Because it sounds like you're you're trying, you want to see the exact language for those to really be able to consider it, and there is some interest. So we'll do that and see um, whether or not uh, something that you want to actually recommend to the board. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Annie, and uh, if there are no, are there any other? Comments. I'm actually, I just want to compliment my, my fellow commissioners for getting into the nitty-gritty details and actually giving us something to do rather than just rubber stamping what comes down from the state. <laughs> All right, we're, we're adjourned. Thank you, Manny.